0: the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join us every other week as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today, we're talking to Hannah Brannigan about cueing versus shaping in your training sessions and how to get over a lot of the common problems that we see with um, dogs that are enthusiastic or new to shaping Um, So this might sound a little bit nerdy, and it probably will be, but it's actually really important for novice trainers. And I know that I personally got stuck on this a lot when I was starting out as a trainer. And Hannah is exactly who I'm excited to talk to about this topic. Um, For those of you who don't know Hannah yet, she is the host of Drinking from the Toilet, which is one of my all-time favorite dog training podcasts. She's also the author of Awesome Obedience and its accompanying field guide. She teaches at her school, as well as at Fenzy Dog Sports Academy, um, her school is called Wonder Pups Training. Hannah has a real skill for breaking down training into teeny tiny increments and creating clean loops of training. And it's one of the things I admire about her most. So welcome to the show, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Thanks yep, for me. Yeah. Yes. And Ursa is also here as well. Um, oh, hi. <laughs> yes. Hello. No, surprise. Um, and for those of you who don't remember or know already, we also have some exciting news that you can support the podcast through Patreon for as little as $3 a month. So patrons get to submit questions, which we answer at the end of each episode. So join that conversation over at patreon.com slash convos. So, Hannah, let's just start off with talking a little bit about your dogs and what you love to do with them. Again, for anyone who isn't already familiar with your crew.
1: Sure. I have four dogs right now. Um, They range in ages from 2 to 15. Um, My oldest two are 12 and 15. That's Spark and Game, they're both Belgian Travurin. Um, and then I also have a border terrier who is I want to say six at this point five or six. Time has no meaning anymore, so it's all <laughs> right. construct in the
2: first place. What uh, is even then, time?
1: Yeah, what is time? Um, and then my youngest is figment the border collie. Um, and I, I mean, what do I do with them? I like doing a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. the 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 are both um, confirmation breed champions as well as titled in obedience and agility um, rally. I don't even remember at this point. Um, it's been so long (laughs) since we've done dog sports, but, um, we, you know, we tinkered, um, I'm probably best known for, um, for competition obedience. That's what the, the book Awesome Obedience is, is about, um, bringing a positive reinforcement training philosophy and strategies to the competition obedience space, which is not normal, um, Mm -hmm. at all for that sport so that's that's kind Mm -hmm. of a a new thing um and um yeah i've tinkered in fly ball my newest experiment is playing with frisbee dog stuff which is is terrifying um (laughs) but i think it's important to continue to do things that i don't know how to do and i'm very bad at uh so that i can stay humble and the dogs are really good at you know keeping you from getting too much self-esteem um feeling like you know what you're talking about yeah (laughs)
0: yeah yeah absolutely good at that too
1: yes (laughs) it's true (laughs)
2: yeah i feel like if you're going through life and someone isn't like just completely you know sort of decimating your your what you think you know on a regular basis you're probably doing it wrong
1: (laughs) good then i'm on the right track
0: (laughs) awesome yeah (laughs) that's encouraging (laughs) So um, for what we're talking about today, I know um, we kind of hinted out at in the beginning is kind of the idea of helping dogs um, and trainers through these really common problems that we see in the like novice or more advanced shaping sessions where you're trying to get out and do a training session with your dog and maybe you're hoping to clean up their backup queue. Um, but the dog keeps throwing behaviors at you as, um, as if they think that we're in a shaping session and kind of how to help a dog clear that up. And that was like the first inkling of a question that I had when I wanted to get you on the podcast, and we'll just kind of see where that goes from here. Um, but I know that's a, a such a common problem for people. And, you know, what What are some of your initial thoughts when I bring that up, Hannah? Sure. I mean, my, my initial, first initial thought is that's super common. Um, I think that that's,
1: it's one of the criticisms or complaints, or, and I'm, I'm going to say that it's even a um, misrepresentation of a clicker trained dog that, mm-hmm. um, and, and, then, and I say this, from a place of love, I consider myself a clicker trainer. I'm very passionate about clicker training. And, and then when I say clicker training, I mean more than just using mechanical, um, event marker, but the whole, the whole package, um, with focusing on reinforcement, you know, building with an emphasis on shaping and minimizing prompting and, and clean training, um, or, or emphasizing clean training, not, not minimizing it, but, um, <laughs> the, I think like a lot of you, when I first found clicker training, the, what I, First ended up with with my dog was a dog that had like 300 different behaviors that were Mm two-thirds of the way trained and none of them under stimulus control. And so a typical training session, she would easily scroll through six, seven, eight behaviors before I could kind of focus in on one. And that's not entirely a bad thing. There's some value in that, which I think we should should probably put a pin in that and make sure we come back to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also can be a little bit scary. And especially since I work a lot with folks in the obedience training space. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, none of us gets into dog training if we're not already a little bit of a control freak in the first place. But I think that that the the obedience community is probably overrepresented uh, in that way. And so <laughs> the idea of a dog throwing throwing behaviors off cue air quotes is can be a little bit scary, or a lot mm-hmm. scary, or downright terrifying uh, because it feels out of control. And I've absolutely had training sessions that felt and were uh, totally out of my control and, <laughs> learn, and learn from them, learn from those mistakes. So, um, so, you know, a lot of things, um, one is it doesn't have to be that way. Um, there are totally things we can do to structure the training sessions. If you, if you're listening and you're fine, like you're recognizing yourself, oh my gosh, my dog also has 300 behaviors. Um, I've jumped around from behavior to behavior to behavior for 18 months and I've not really finished any of them and none of them are on cue. And um, everything is converging into just one mashup of, of barking and spit flying and spinning and, and hair and all this stuff. <laughs> uh, we can fix that. Like, that's totally solvable. And also, if you're starting from scratch, which none of us ever are, um, but if you are starting from scratch with your next dog, which you won't make the same mistakes as you did this dog, um, uh, we can set up the way you structure your trading, like, in the big picture, so that that's much less of a problem, um in the in as much as it is a problem um to be throwing mm-hmm. throwing all of those new behaviors so from there i don't know which direction there's a couple of different ways we could go from there um as far as like tricks or, or like tips you know how we could structure sessions i don't know what you're most interested in hearing about
0: ursa do you want to jump in with her?
2: yeah i would love to hear about um you know your thoughts about how we can and Kayla and i talked a little bit about this um before we got on the call with you um what your ideas are for what the best ways are that we can signal to a shaping savvy dog um, that now is the time that we're looking for them to offer behaviors versus now is the time that we're actually trying to single out a behavior um maybe improve duration maybe work on distractions but we're not looking for the dog to offer something different and maybe that's getting ahead a little bit we could also start with um you know if you are starting because uh, I primarily, train, um, I primarily train with clients now. Um, my dogs are older, I jokingly refer to them as retired, even though they help me out sometimes, but we don't do as much training as we used to. We tend to focus more on like playing together and walks and sniffing and that sort of thing. Um, but if you're starting out with a dog that's relatively green to training, what are some things that you can do from the beginning to lay a good foundation for you to be able to make that differentiation later? So that's kind of two parts, and we could maybe do them in either order, but I, I suppose it would make sense to do the second one first. So what do you think?
1: Well, and we really can kind of merge them both, because it's it's like a lot of things in training. Yeah. Whichever end of the spectrum you find yourself on, the, the real solution is training towards the middle. So um, yes. So, a couple, a couple of thoughts. I'm just going to grab random bullet points out, and just we'll jam on them, and it's fine. Um, so first, yeah. I think one of the things that I realized as I was – kind of cleaning up my training, coming back from that, like, exciting quicker training hangover situation, um, <laughs> is that it's important to to keep those queued and offered sessions separate um, and not mm-hmm. try to mix them. So, like, what I would do that was, that was creating a lot of frustration with, with both of us, my dog and myself is I would, let's say I wanted to work on um, like a sit pretty. So uh, my dog sits, she puts her rear end on the ground, then lifts both front feet up off the ground. I'm do that kind of cute begging kind of posture. And I wanted her to offer the sit pretty, but I cued her to sit. Because mm. the sit is the starting position there. So if I say sit and she sits, and then I'm waiting for her to offer the sit pretty, but I cued her to sit. And separately mm-hmm. in other training sessions, I cued her to sit and then shape for duration. So which is right? She has no way of mm. knowing, and so what mm-hmm. happens is I would often break both of those behaviors, and mm-hmm. she would, you know, she would cycle through it. Mm-hmm. So, so my first job as a trainer is to decide um, which kind of session do I want to have today. Am I have? Am I working mm-hmm. with an offer session or a cue session? And I can, like, stop that session, take her, and come back. So I could do sixty seconds offered, mm-hmm. and then add a cue, and and go from there. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's trying to mix them in like the same in the same loop, where I'm expecting a response to a cue, but then also respecting mm-hmm. expecting an offer behavior. That's a that's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that mm-hmm. case, the simple solution is I'm going to lure my dog into a sit, and mm-hmm. then wait for her to offer and shape from there. That's really quick and easy, and making that one change um, will take care of half of that kind of craziness mm-hmm. uh, and frustration mm-hmm. behavior that that you might run into there. Or the flip side, if you have the you know kind of the other end of the spectrum dog where you're, the problem with shaping is whether they sit and stare at you, um, which we don't really talk about. But, but I think that's also such a common experience. It's worth, it's worth mentioning. This helps both sides of that. Again, training towards the middle. Um, yeah. So, you know, I want to decide in advance. Um, and I, I want to emphasize again that the, the behavior of, or like the, kind of the larger pattern of, at the beginning of a training session, offering a series of behaviors that have frequently been reinforced in this context before is not a bad thing. And that's something that I keep mm-hmm. and maintain for my dogs um, because mm-hmm. that allows me to pick a direction. Um, so they're sort of like offering me a menu of, of, these are all the options I have available for you today. And I'll say, great, mm-hmm. this one is the closest to where, you know, the starting point that I want. <laughs> and it gives me something to, to work with there. The um, soup du jour. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, I do think as we go into this, it's, also thoughtf- it's helpful to be thoughtful about the picture that you're presenting. So, um, this can look like a lot of things and it's almost hard to talk about because it can be so general. Um, right. it can be that, um, uh, an easy way to differentiate is that when I sit down, this is going to be an offered, an offered session. And that works well for me because in the, the areas of my training where stimulus control is going to be, um, like heavily emphasized, like sports, I'm always mm-hmm. standing. But there's no point you're allowed to sit down in the obedience ring. You certainly aren't sitting down in agility or frisbee dog, right? So, um, <laughs> so that's a really easy way for me. If I sit down on the floor or in a chair or on a stool, we're offering behavior. Um, like that's going to be kind of a default picture. Um, if I'm standing, I'll also have what um, what I think it was like, like train casual or fly casual where i'm not standing in a formal posture so i don't have my feet together Mm -hmm. i don't have you know my shoulders back i usually deliberately step my feet slightly apart they're a little bit staggered i've got my hands near the center of my body in a home position there Um, it's not presenting an obvious formal picture and that Mm -hmm. also is part of the a a context where Mm -hmm. offered behavior is is likely to be appreciated um, in this space but Mm -hmm. ultimately um, what makes the difference between are you offering behavior or are you responding to a cue is what I click and the timing of my cues. So all of those other things are kind of like, those are larger picture stuff. Um, But what it comes down to in in the actual session is, uh, and this is where I find thinking of the training session as a series of uh, movement cycles or training loops. I use those terms fairly interchangeably, which I probably shouldn't, but I do, and I'm going to today. Uh, in that the, the cycle of a single training repetition begins and ends with the treat. So mm-hmm. when the dog has swallowed the treat, they're now ready to do another repetition of whatever the behavior is that you're working on. And that's mm-hmm. your space to give a cue or not give a cue. So if mm-hmm. I'm working in a cued session, I say, sit, my dog sits, I click, I give him a treat. He swallows the treat. That's the new starting point. And then it's on me to either give him another cue, sit or down or whatever. Or if I haven't given a cue in that space, he's gonna look at me for a second and then offer something that makes sense in that context. Um, That's Mm -hmm. usually something that's been reinforced in that that picture before. Mm -hmm. And that's a a pretty easy system to implement because I have control over it. Again, I'm not the control freak, but some of my clients are. Uh, but it's something that then I, can, I can own it, and and then my dog, it's not that my dog is anticipating because I have a very clear, like, place, like, you know, blank spot on the form where I'm supposed to put a cue, and if I don't, and I leave it blank, he fills it out. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that's yeah. the, there's a contract, it's, it's, it's an agreement. Yeah, I was us. gonna say, you, you're sort of operating with the understanding that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: sort, to some degree, you're asking the dog to take responsibility. To go okay I didn't ask you for anything so I want you to offer something. Yes. Would you say that like you know we mentioned earlier like if you're working on duration for example so let's say you're working on getting a dog to sit for longer than you know a fraction of a second that it takes to click would you say that if you're seeing a dog start to throw other behaviors at you in that amount of time that maybe you're just raising criteria too much too soon? Yeah. yeah, if they're okay. offering other behaviors in your, when you're trying to shape for duration, your clicks are
1: late, period. Um, you are almost certainly, if we were to, and this is why I love video and why it's so awesome to have, <laughs> even if sometimes painful, is yeah. if I slow down my training set, I take a video it's on my phone and I run back through it in slow motion, I can see that actually what I clicked on that very first repetition in, in, the, in the situation where you're, you're talking about, where I'm, I intend to shape for um, a longer hold of an object in their mouth, And Mm -hmm. instead I'm getting a dog flinging the bowl at me. Then I look in the, if I go to the video, let's go to the tapes. um, You can see (laughs) actually that very first click where the the wheel started coming off. He was already letting go. His mouth was, had already closed and was starting to open back up again. And people can't see my hands gesturing, but um, they're already starting (laughs) to open back up again. And that's the movement that I clicked. I clicked the muscle um, movement of mouth opening and now I bought it. And so the behavior I have started now shaping is the opposite of what I want. Um, It's the mouth closing and then opening and opening. It's just like sit in the stand up, sit in the stand up. Um, And almost every case Mm -hmm. we go back to the tape, we will see the dog is already in the process of starting to stand up when the click happens. And that's the behavior that gets reinforced. So uh, Mm -hmm. the fix for that isn't, Oh my God, it's my dog's fault for not doing the thing longer. Why would he do the thing Mm -hmm. longer when I've just reinforced him Mm -hmm. for getting up? I've got to move my click earlier in the cycle so that he's getting clicked way before And way before maybe a tenth of a second, way before he's starting to stand back up or he's starting to open his mouth again. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that even means I need to click when he's on his way down Um, Mm -hmm. and before it's even really a complete behavior to avoid accidentally capturing the whatever the next thing is, the opening of the mouth or the standing back up.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really common one as well with like nail trims. I know that's something I've been working on lately where trying to make sure that you don't click as the dog is tensing up or pulling their paw back. And I know for me, one of the, the things that I, I think about a lot with that, um, or that I think might be part of my problem with it um, is that I want to get that repetition in. And if, as the dog is pulling away, I don't click and I just let them pull their paw away we've just lost that repetition and if i'm trying to do you know like 10 treats while the microwave is going or whatever it is i, I, I like it, it's just it's a it's a hard thing for us trainers i think to just like let a repetition go unreinforced but i think maybe what we're saying here is that letting something go unreinforced is better than reinforcing the wrong thing <sighs> <laughs> maybe
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with the dog trainer it depends um, I was just about that. <laughs> I think, I was like, I think this you... sounds like a, a job for it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think either way, the ship has sailed by the time you've made mm-hmm. the decision to click or not click. Cause the behavior has come and gone. Um, and the, the real opportunity to make the difference is whatever you do on the next repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, where I know I get into trouble is I come into the training session with an agenda. Um, I'm going to accomplish a particular thing. And that particular thing is usually very outcome oriented mm-hmm. and not process oriented. And if I come into the training session with really kind of the goal, it's not cheesy, but like the goal is to do very good training. I know they always get the outcome faster than if I go and Like I, like I excited the same thing. My goal is to trim the nail. And that means that I'm going to hold on just a little bit too long, a little bit too tight because success for me is getting that single nail clipped. Um, and I have to redefine success as to get my click in before my dog pulls back, um, and that's mm. there's a cognitive thing that happens there. But I, I mean, I think just the larger picture again, training a, a trainer error of either you waited a little too long or you went a little too, or like should should I is it better or worse to reinforce or not reinforce? I think both are equally bad or equal, <laughs> equally good, depending <laughs> and. <laughs> and it, it, what I would, I would actually encourage us to do is to take the pressure off that one repetition and put mm. it to the, the, after the oh crap moment, what am I going to do next to make sure that doesn't happen again on the next repetition? Because then hopefully those screw-ups are just a drop in the bucket, uh, you know, mm. with you know, gallons and gallons of correct repetition with good timing and you know, the, the deliberate reinforcement strategy that benefits the training. And then occasionally we're going to have a late click. But it's so outweighed by all of the good clicks that it just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I think we put too much. I think we put too much emphasis on how do I respond to an error in the moment, and 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 that's the wrong place to focus our
2: our energy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, well, and especially since you know, kind of the you know the mo for positive reinforcement training in general is to focus on catching the good stuff, and and I think you know when when you go in with that mindset thing, when you don't do that, it's sort of like oh crap. like this, I have one job. I have one job and I missed
1: it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, the the flip side, I mean, again, this is, this only becomes a problem. Like if we're, if we are taking a magnifying glass and we're looking at a single rep, it probably doesn't matter in that one rep, whether you reinforce or not, what matters is in a larger pattern over the course of the whole session or several weeks. Um, if the error keeps happening, then yeah, the, the error response starts to make a really big difference. If your rate of reinforcement is too low, you're gonna have a frustrated mm-hmm. dog. You're not gonna make progress. If you're if you're uh, the flip side, and I think this is again a, a it's a it's kind of my my pendulum swing that I've ridden over, you know, my journey is making the mistake of or it's not a mistake, but coming in with the intent of being generous and with the impact of being unclear. So I'm reinforcing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot, heavily and frequently, but what I'm reinforcing doesn't make any sense because I'm so worried about letting my dog go unreinforced for a second and possibly experiencing frustration that I actually create frustration because he has mm-hmm. no idea what's making the click happen. It's It, mm-hmm. it can feel almost random. And I it, and because mm-hmm. it's always easier to see these things from the outside, I can now see them um, in you know, in clients and other teams, you know, working, and I will see frustrated dogs sniffing, checking mm-hmm. out, even though the rate of reinforcement is, is objectively very high, the rate of success is very low. So there's food mm-hmm. everywhere. And mm-hmm. some dogs, you know, may be happy with that, but a lot of dogs will get frustrated. They're, sure, they're going to eat the food, they're not going to turn the food down necessarily. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely not making progress on the training. And again, we'll see that increase in Kind of displacement behaviors, vocalization, sniffing, stuff you generally don't want to see in a training session as a doctor. Yeah, trainer, kind of disengagement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: okay. It's interesting. I saw, um, I saw a video last night. A friend of mine um, tagged me, a non-trainer friend tagged me in it on social media because it's this guy training this little um, spaniel breed puppy to heal, um, using positive reinforcement, using just a verbal marker. And, um, and it was a really young puppy. And what he was doing was he was, he was very positive with the puppy. It seemed very, um, you know, like the puppy was really happy to work and he was wiggly and, you know, had anticipation for the training. And what was happening was the guy would kind of creep forward and the puppy would creep forward next to him and swing his butt around and then go, oops, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And then he would back up a little bit and then he would lay down and then he would swing back into heel position and then the guy would mark and treat. And that that pattern happened several times. And it's funny because I was like, I feel like this is exactly what we're getting ready to talk to Hannah about, which is... I think he thinks that he's (laughs) clicking the dog for going to heel position or marking the dog for going to heel position when the dog thinks that he's being marked for just, you know, offering this chain of behaviors where it's like, I'm going to dance forward a little and then lay down and then look at you and then spin around and then go back to heel position backwards. And it happens several times in a row, and it seems like that's a really common, like j- not just dogs that will offer things randomly, but offering that chain of behaviors. Would you consider mm-hmm. that to be kind of in the same, kind of same vein of, of issue?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, if you go back to the behavior cycle or the training loop, um, mm-hmm. the entire repetition is everything that happens between when the dog swallows the first treat and then swallows the second treat. Like, so everything... <laughs> That happens in that space is being reinforced. Is it all being reinforced equally? Probably not, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely being reinforced. So what happens between the beginning of that repetition and the click is all going to get reinforced and its potential to be built in um, and usually won't go away. Like what the phenomenon we would maybe notice, like, let's say the dog um, backs up, sits and lies down. Um, when they're kind of scrolling through their behavior and you're clicking the down and then they back up, sit and lie down, you click the down, they back up, sit and lie down, click the down. The backup being further away from the click probably doesn't get the same um, level of reinforcing effect that the down does. So it will diminish, but not go away. And so you have a dog that takes one step back instead of three and then sits and lies Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. Um, But as long as it's happening in that loop, it's still being reinforced. And so again, the trick is how can I set up this session either by changing how I reinforce by changing what I click or when I click or maybe I need to change something about the environment or something about I'm part of the environment as well so change something you know, something about me or my position so that mm-hmm. I get the down without the backup and the sit so that I'm the only thing that happens when my dog swallows the treat is he goes
2: right back into the next down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. really like cleaning up that loop which seems like it's always a timing issue. Or, well, often Ta- the timing,
0: timing issue, I Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings to what I kind of wanted to pivot to next, which is talking about how I think this is basically just a question of stimulus control, just a specific type of stimulus control or a specific category. And, you know, Ursa and I were talking before we hopped on about, you know, is this a place where, like, no reward markers or keep going signals can be helpful? Um, I also have been thinking about you know, like s- using stationing as a way to help a dog with this, or um, props to help clean up things. So I, I think we've got at least four different um, ideas I just spat out at us. Do we like any of those, uh, or dislike any of them, um, any that we want to kind of dig into a little bit as ways to deal with this uh, quandary? Didn't want to call it a problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a training <laughs> challenge. Challenge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. So I, a part
1: of the problem we're talking about things like no reward markers and keep going signals is that, that is, it's a label, and we mm-hmm. often are saying mean different things when we're talking about them. So when I say a no reward marker, what I mean is using usually a, a verbal, but could be any stimulus, to indicate that reinforcement is not available.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so... Uh, When I was first learning about this concept, I was taught to use the word wrong, and the emphasis was in that you have to say wrong in a neutral tone, so that it's not punishing. The challenge, of course, is that we are all, all of us, going to respond to a signal that reinforcement is not available as a punisher eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it pisses it pisses us off. Am I allowed to say that on your I don't know how you're marked, but um, yeah, yeah. Us- <laughs> we I hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but any signal that reinforcement is not available is it, it puts us into extinction conditions. Mm-hmm. And so you know we we might experience that as something we would call frustration. Um, so I mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how cheerfully someone says it, right? Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. It doesn't matter. Like it's still going to be irritating. You're be because, of what it, <laughs> because of what it represents. I mean, how does anyone else have um, like an emotional response to the the voice of the GPS saying, "Are um, we calculating?" Or, yeah. or
0: <laughs> please or, proceed or,
1: to, yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> please and proceed to mark route.
1: And, and she, she's a computer voice that was recorded a long time ago. has nothing to do with me. And yet I perceive her tone as being very judgmental uh, when <laughs> I have gone off of the route that she recommended. So, so I don't, I think again, it, it's a mistake to put the emphasis on as long as I say it in a cheerful voice, my dog's not going right. to perceive it as a because what it represents is reinforcement isn't available. That ex- is experience is really unpleasant,
2: which is kind of the point. So you know, it doesn't matter what word you say, it doesn't matter how you say it. Um, it's sort of like I, I think don't, uh, therapists use the oh sorry Hannah, I was going to say therapists use the phrase okay. intent versus impact and I feel like that's really mm-hmm. relevant here and in training in general because we always say like oh well you have to do it this way so the dog doesn't perceive it as xyz when it's like but what is the impact of what you're doing like whether or not you mean it that way uh, totally what's the impact yeah. And I feel yeah. like that's super relevant here. <laughs> it is. I mean, the, the dogs
1: will tell us, so it's not it right. matter what you attend your training session to me about <laughs> the dog is going to give you information about what they have picked up from it. Uh, yes. And it's up to us to, to have good observational skills and, and respond to that. Um, yeah. And, and also I think, you know, the other, the other flip side is something I'm always, I'm always very, very aware of the human element because I am not a computer. Mm-hmm. And on my very best day, I'm still a person. And I am bringing all of my baggage, which I also work out in therapy, into my training sessions. I you know, made a lot of progress, but, but I'm, still a, I'm still a person. And I know that when I come into any training session with the intent to use even a neutral no reward marker, it's automatically kicking me into the brain space where I'm focused on what's wrong.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so as soon as I'm thinking about what's wrong and I'm using any brain cells to time my, my wrong or uh-uh or whatever, Um, It is taking brain cells away from focusing on reinforcing the correct behavior. And so my, it affects my timing. It affects my training choices. Um, Mm -hmm. I am much more prone to lumping if I am expecting to be able to block the dog from the incorrect response in some way verbally or, or otherwise Mm -hmm. Um, I, and, and what I have discovered in almost like in every case I do better training when I focus all of my brain cells on setting my dog up so that the correct behavior, the goal behavior is very, very, very likely to occur, some slice of it, um, and that I'm setting my criteria and focusing all of my energy on good timing um, of reinforcing the correct behavior. all so again, ultimately, reinforcement drives behavior. So the only thing that's going to move your training forward is getting correct responses that you can reinforce. That matters mm-hmm. so much more than anything that you do to respond to an incorrect response.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and the, the same is also for you know keep going signals as well and when i say keep going signal what i mean is again, <laughs> yes. you have some kind of verbal um uh, verbal cue that we say with the intent of meaning reinforcement is coming soon like i've heard people describe it lots of ways it means good keep doing what you're doing and you'll get reinforcement you know shortly um, <laughs> what the dog picks up i don't know um most of the training that i observe. The keep going signals are functioning as either cues. So it's like pedaling a bike. Um, you have to say good, 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 or the dog will discontinue the behavior. Well, if the good is inducing the behavior to occur, then it's a cue. It's mm-hmm. not a reinforcer. Of course, cues can be reinforcers, but I don't find that helpful in this model. So we're going to pretend that that isn't a thing okay. right now. But um mm-hmm. <laughs> And again, I'm best served by slicing my criteria for duration, such that my click is reinforcing the clean response. Um, Again, you kind of and and there's nothing wrong with with using a a cue to maintain the behavior. The way that holding the gas pedal down on your car keeps your car going forward. That can Mm -hmm. be a legit training choice if it's practical in the application Mm -hmm. where you need to use that behavior in the long run. Most of our training, that's probably not helpful. And what we really want is to be able to say sit and have the dog sit until we want them to do something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can even add stay there, sit, stay. I'm fine with that. I'm not real judgy about that. But it's probably not practical for your cues to function, such as sit, 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 Mm -hmm. sit. And as soon as you stop saying sit, they get up. That doesn't usually let us get whatever done that we needed to do, which is why we asked the dog to sit in the first place.
0: Um, Yeah. So. Well, I, almost I think feel like a lot of the, times Oh, sorry, Arsa.
2: That's okay. I was going to say I almost feel like the keep going signal is one of those things that may have value in like more advanced training but is probably not super helpful for green trainers green dogs. Like I guess the the, the scenario in which I see it maybe potentially having value would be like you know, a, a well-trained dog, a, a good trainer, they have a relationship. Um, and, and, you know, Kayla, I'm kind of thinking of like what you do with your dogs, where you kind of send them out to do a job you know, pretty independently, um, for a long duration of time where like, maybe that could have some function in that scenario, mm-hmm. but it seems really nebulous as like a beginner tool, um, at all yeah. to me.
1: I, I think it is. I think the, the. <laughs> The, the trap for a beginner in this space, is like the common, those common places that I would see someone use is teaching something simple like a stay. They say mm-hmm. sit, they say stay, they say stay. good, stay. good,
2: good, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> they walking backwards with their hand
1: up. Um, and, and then at the end they give the treat. And it gives them the idea that they taught, like let's say they, they're teaching, I'm just gonna use round numbers, so they're, they're they think they're teaching a 30 second stay, but they're saying good at five second intervals. What has really actually happened most in most times is if they've taught what is that six five seconds stay to yeah. end rather than one 30 seconds stay, and then they're shocked when they cue their dog to sit, and, and they, after five seconds the dog gets up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then and that's an opportunity where one that trainer is very likely to be frustrated because why wouldn't you like you your reinforcer as a trainer has suddenly been ripped away from you, and mm-hmm. um, and then and it's an easy place for. To make an argument well i have to use punishment here because he knew how to stay and see he didn't and then and that's just it's a miscommunication what you trained your dog mm-hmm. to do is not what your dog learned or what you think you trained mm-hmm. your dog to do is not what your dog mm-hmm. actually learned to do mm-hmm. um and so and, yeah, I, I agree with you completely that for again just circling back to reinforcement drives behavior as a new trainer the one most important thing they can learn to do is reinforce effectively and let's keep mm-hmm. that simple like be really really good with one event marker one reinforcement strategy when you can do that one flawlessly then then we can maybe get fancier um
0: yeah yeah well and even when i think about the times that i use what i might call a keep going signal and i'm thinking about it critically um the the big example is like i i give barley something cute to hold and i try to back up to take a photo um <laughs> and i will say you know wait um is usually the cue and. In thinking about it critically right now, I think I'm mostly using weight as an interrupter or a punisher for any inkling of movement that i'm seeing from him i don't (laughs) yes i i don't think it's a keep going signal it's all like don't you get up don't you drop that adorable you know bouquet of roses for our valentine's day photo shoot (laughs) um i mean i mean that's a really good point like
1: that that really gets to the what's actually happening can we describe what we're seeing and what you're seeing mm-hmm. is when my dog starts to open his mouth i say wait he closes his mouth again and i've always found that fascinating how like on the one hand yes from a good training perspective in an ideal world you have one cue one behavior um and we keep mm-hmm. that really clean but in real life a a one a single cue like the word wait can actually have different meanings depending on context and and this is something i have observed, like like our dog's names so Of course, as a positive reinforcement trainer, uh, I very much encourage everyone to only use their dog's name in a positive association um, Mm -hmm. kind of way. And yet in real life, that doesn't (laughs) always happen. (laughs) And it's fascinating to me how my dogs, if I describe what I observe, what my dogs appear to have learned is when in in a household setting, so not a formal training session, um, I am like uh, cooking dinner or watching TV or on the toilet or whatever their name often functions as a cue to go back to what you were just doing a second ago um so like frequently i put them on station and i'm trying to do something with my kid or like you know clean up something that's been dropped and they start to come off the station and if i turn around i say rugby get right back <laughs> on his station That's not his cue for station i've never trained right. him to go to station <laughs> on his name that is, yeah. it, it, place is our cue for that but if he was on his station and I say his name, he goes right back to the station. And if he's um, heading towards the, um, he steals things from my daughter's toy stuff because they're, she's at the age where their dog toys, they're indistinguishable. So it's fair, right. but it's in a different <laughs> location. And if he starts moving towards that and I say his name, he turns and goes in the other direction and starts doing something else. Um, so the cues are functioning differently there. And I'm going to guess that there is some subtle negative reinforcement contingency in play in those in those scenarios, not one that I've deliberately applied, like as a as a formal training strategy, but probably just you, you know escalation mm-hmm. of cues and irritation in my body language and dogs being dogs being pretty good at that. Um, <laughs> so that things for me to be aware yeah, of. That makes yeah,
2: sense. I was gonna, as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking like I think I might have accidentally taught my six year old son the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> like say, saying his name is, in a certain tone, though. It's a certain tone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whatever you're thinking about doing, just keep doing what you were doing before that. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I don't know. something I can really exactly tease out, but it, it just, right. it's just one of those. Like, well, that's very interesting kind of observations <laughs> that you have when you're at home for an entire year and don't have many grown-ups to talk to (laughs) right yeah (laughs)
2: god seriously (laughs) um i have another question um that's sort of off a little well now i guess it's not really a tangent um so as i mentioned before you know i spend most of my time right now sort of teaching like lay people to train their dogs which is what a large part of our job as a trainer and Mm -hmm. um I think we all have this instinct to want to like download the entire contents of our brain into our clients' brains, right? We want to be like, I want you to understand this and I want you to understand why and how, and if you just understand, you'll be able to get it. And I know that's not effective because it's overwhelming. So could you talk about like maybe what a few good sort of overarching points are to make um, about capturing and shaping behavior to people who don't understand the concepts. Like what, how can we effectively get um, clients to do it when they might not even know what it, what it means or what the relevance is? Like, where's a good starting point for that? I'm always looking to be better at that with clients because I, I think it's hard to be good at shaping and to hand somebody a clicker, or give somebody a, a verbal marker and be like, okay, we're gonna do this is a big expectation. And so how can we be better at that for people who are green?
1: So this is kind of a big question. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm know. i a big fan. I, most of my career, this, this dog sport thing is, well, I've been, I've, I've been playing in dog sports myself for a while, but it, I still don't feel qualified to teach it. And yet I find myself teaching it so, but, but right up until, the before time I was working full time as a, as a pet dog trainer. So, um, that's most of my, most of my career experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and initially I did the same thing, like what you're talking about. I talked a lot and did mm-hmm. a little bit of training right. and over the course of my journey, the proportions reversed and I got mm-hmm. better outcomes. Um, so I'm a big fan of focusing on mechanics first because that's what they need and that's what I am best, if, if I'm there in person or now on Zoom, mm-hmm. the best use of our time together is for me to coach you through your mechanics because that's not something you can read on the internet or watch mm-hmm. on a video. Um, right. So focusing very much mm-hmm. on mechanics, um, when it comes to something like shaping or capturing, you're exactly right, I rarely use the terms right off the bat unless mm-hmm. they come asking, You know, so we mm-hmm. gotta meet, meet the learner where they are and I am a big fan of using their language back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually start with, um, in all my pet dog classes, the first thing that we would work on is a, is shaping a mat behavior. I don't call it mm-hmm. that. Um, I do present it, I love the Tag Teach Focus Funnel, so I do present some context. Why is this, what are we teaching? Why is it important? How are you going to use it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll explain, we're going to teach your dog to lay on a mat. This is a perfect alternate behavior and for all those irritating uh, behaviors that your dog is currently doing, which are the reason you signed up for this class. So barking mm-hmm. at the door or begging, begging at the table or, you know, whatever, whatever the mm-hmm. thing is. Um, and then I give them effectively the recipe that is shaping. We're shaping them to go to the mat, but I'm not telling them the select criteria. I'm moving them. So I have them place the mat um, six inches from the wall. Their toes are at the edge of the mat facing the wall. So their dog's in a little dog aquarium. Cause usually you know, your, your typical dog class set up their chair is to the one side mm-hmm. and then the mat's there and then there's so there's just one open side of that aquarium and i can close that with a second chair if i need mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. i did most of my teaching in vet clinics so i had chairs and towels and that was about <laughs> it um, and so it was, now people will have like dedicated training facilities and visual and barriers and all kinds of stuff and i'm always like wow i was like a pioneer on the oregon trail uh, <laughs> training in a vet lobby with nothing uh um, I anyway, didn't get dysentery. <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> anyway, and my wagon tipped over and we lost all our surprise. Um,
2: <laughs> You're off your drowned.
1: ground. <laughs> yeah. So so the so, so the instruction that I give them is is where to stand, which gives them mm-hmm. zero distance. And their instructions mm-hmm. are to throw the treat at the baseboard. Um, so where the floor and the and the wall beat. So they have a target they're throwing at. Uh, And I tell them to click and toss the tree at the baseboard, click and toss the tree at the baseboard. And so I'm shaping them. The initial step Mm -hmm. is just mechanics. Can you click and then treat? Can you get a treat out of your hand onto the floor? The wall Mm -hmm. acts as a backstop so the treats can't go very far. And because the mat is six inches from the wall, the dog is already on the mat. So Mm -hmm. my initial criteria for shaping the dog's behavior is zero distance. My initial criteria for the human behavior is zero distance. And mm-hmm. the dog is collecting a whole lot of treats while standing on the mat, building upon a ton of reinforcement history. Great. Let's take a step back. Now your job is to click when your dog has any part of his body touching the mat and toss a treat at the baseboard. So the mechanics stay the same. I've added one element, which is looking for a, a small behavior of the dog. Now the dog just ate you know, 30 treats off of the mat. So it's very likely to hang out there, uh, mm-hmm. which makes it very likely that they're going to have something to click. So they really change almost nothing. In fact, if I've done it well, and the room is set up successfully, if you close your eyes, there's a rhythm and the rhythm mm-hmm. doesn't change. You can hear the mm-hmm. click and the snuffling and the click and the snuffling and the click and the snuffling. And they take mm-hmm. a step back and now I'm telling them to look for their dog to step on the mat, but they were already doing it. And so <laughs> the rhythm doesn't change. The reinforcement stays the same. They take another step back and another step back. And now mm-hmm. we're actually, the dog has to move off of the mat to get the treat and then return to the mat for the click and come off the mat to get the treat and turn to the mat for the click. Mm-hmm. No even behavior that's, that has been shaped. And they have the mechanics to teach and maintain it. And if at that point, and they and they have a win, they feel like maybe maybe I don't suck entirely and I should keep this dog. And maybe dog training isn't terrible. Um, maybe I'm a pretty good trainer. Cause like that's how I felt the first time I taught a dog to go to Mad. Like, oh right. I can <laughs> have CGC on this dog.
2: I'm like, I'm a rock star. Um, <laughs> little did I know. But um, and so the it, emphasis is more on yeah. you're not like uh, sort of we're sort of bypassing the concept of of making the like making it their responsibility to choose from a selection of the dog's behavior like we're not even really presenting it as oh the dog is going to give you these 60 things and you need to you know pick one and whatever we're sort of just narrowing it down so that we don't even uh, like make it about that for for the the green handler okay and that's so important and if you think about it
1: you can have the best criteria and eye for it. And if you can't get the click and the treat where it goes, it won't make any damn difference at all. It doesn't all. matter because yeah. reinforcement drives behavior. So if you don't have good mechanics, the best training plan in the world won't make any difference. So we've got to have mechanics first, no matter what, like it always comes down to mechanics. People that come to me for competition, um, high level competition stuff. And I'm like, well, we got to be able to reinforce your dog effectively. So we need to work on your mechanic. Like it's, it comes down to mechanics. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and if you look at how we learn stuff in, or you know, if we're taught well in school, you need phonics before we can talk about character analysis. Like, mm-hmm. can you sound out the letters and know it? Know it and know what, and know what right. the, the letter sounds out. like. You have to have that. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you can't. You can't write. Like you, you just literally mm-hmm. can't. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Um, and th- the same thing with us. If we put all of our emphasis on the that kind of cognitive side of stuff, but. Mm-hmm. But, but treats are dropping everywhere. You're not right. going to end up with a with a good outcome. So we have to start with mechanics. Yeah, what can I do sense. to make everything else easier for the human while they automate that treat delivery cycle? Mm-hmm. Oh, I
2: like I like it when you put it that way, and that's cool.
0: Yeah. I think we probably need to pivot to Patreon questions. Do we have any last kind of thoughts? Um, or things we want to circle back to um, before pivoting. I mean,
2: Hannah, I feel like I
0: could talk to you for hours. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about that stuff for hours, so that's not a problem. <laughs> I know, same, right? <laughs> I don't that think is, so. That Kayla, is why, do why we have like, podcasts. I know. Do you feel like we've kind of fleshed out the concept that we wanted to address?
0: Any lingering um, thoughts? I think if we could touch on. Stationing really briefly as a another um, way to help with the specifics, the you know the ar- overarching um, concern of a dog who's offering behavior. I know, mm-hmm. Hannah, that you're pretty good about using stationing um, within your training as a way to kind of have a loop or um, give yourself time to think <laughs> if you need to pause a training session. So why don't mm-hmm. we bring that up? I think that is probably one of the easier solutions and especially for people like I know I probably fall into that like overly generous camp and I make a lot of problems for myself because I'm like oh but that was such a nice down and like yeah I was working on sh- teaching you to shake but but you're an 18 week old puppy and you just offered it down and you're such a smart good perfect boy <laughs> and I'm just like digging myself a hole um <laughs> so stationing yeah yeah so
1: okay so stationing um again when i say stationing what i mean is some kind of parking space where i can park my dog in in, in space. in That's a parking space for you. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's like a, you're parking a, in a space. It's <laughs> a space where you can park. Uh, it's a physical location. There may or may not be a physical target there, though usually yes. Um, so mm-hmm. it could be a crate, but it doesn't have to be a crate. It could be a dog bed. But it doesn't have to be a dog bed. It could be a mat, but it doesn't have to be. It can be the leash in a circle. But some some concrete anchor um, that is... is a, is is on a, on a piece of earth or, I mean, it could be a pie, but that we can point to, everybody knows it's got edges. That's the important part. Um, when my dog (laughs) is on station, we're not actively training. So anytime, um, I, I use the station as punctuation frequently in training. So it's the beginning and end of the training session. We always start off the training session by popping on station, even for just a second, like, and now I'm ready to go. Um, while my mm-hmm. dog is there, the usually I'm not reinforcing a lot on the station because that's where I'm thinking or I'm making sure that I have my plan. I'm visualizing, okay, I'm going to start by tossing tree treat over here and then I'm going to click for this um, and making sure that I have um, you know, just all those little last second things before I pull my dog off so that when I, so that I am clear, I'm able to provide clear information um, and I'm ready to reinforce when my dog does the right thing because yeah, if their dog does the right thing and you don't reinforce it, and you do that often enough, it's you're you're not going to have you're not going to make a lot of progress in, with your training because your reinforcement drives behavior, and you're creating um, a larger dynamic where the beginning of your training session is characterized by frustration. Mm-hmm. What the hell do you want, mm-hmm. Mama? Uh, and that tends to lead to disconnection and loss of focus. And and again, most of the teams that come to me for troubleshooting because they have Difficulty with focus or attention, or however they label it, uh, is a two-way street there, and it's usually because you're not providing clear information. So there's no reason for your dog to pay attention to you. Your your station is very staticky, uh, and so it's it, it, it's buffering forever, and so they click away to find <laughs> something else. Recalculating, recalculating. recalculating. <laughs> uh, so I want to make sure because I want my dog to snap into focus immediately at the beginning of the session. I make sure that I am in focus immediately at the beginning of the session. So. We come off of the station, immediately into reinforcement. Um, whether that means I'm giving a cue or we're offering behavior, whatever, depends on the session. Anytime I can find myself starting to spin or the wheels are coming off, things are starting to spiral. That's my, that's my like break the glass in case of emergency. We go back to station. It gives me a new starting point. So because every training session starts on station, then anytime I need a new starting point within a session, I can go back to station. Uh, and that might be because some unexpected um, environmental distraction showed up it could be that the training plan isn't going the way that i thought it could be that you know i I overestimated what i was going to be able to get which is usually how my training plans go (laughs) not the way that i want Um, okay i need a new starting point because continuing to stand there while my dog barks at the leash or continuing to stand there while my dog um sniffs and spins out of control or barks at me or whatever that's never going to help because we're building that into the loop. Best case scenario, so back to station, clean starting point. I can go again, and then I end the session, back to station, and then you know back to the car, back to the into the yard or, or wherever. Um, and, and I do think that having like is that the only way to meet those principles? No, but it's such an easy and convenient way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. Um, it's an easy habit to establish. Like it's a, it's a practice. It's part of your trading practice, and it it just like station for household behaviors, it prevents a lot of problems and it just helps me keep the training session cleaner.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, yeah, let's bop on over to our Patreon questions. Um, So I think all of these are from Caroline, who is our all-star patron. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And our first one is, if life ever possibly pulls you in eight different directions and you aren't in a great headspace, what are some ways you've been able to reinforce your own behavior of training the dogs? This
2: sounds like an asking 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 for a friend question. (laughs)
0: Only. Yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, only, right? Only pulled in eight different directions. That feels feels like a a vacation. Um, But... um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of just how I live right now. Um, there's always something competing for my time. Um, what are some ways that I've been able to reinforce my own behavior training dog? So I do turn towards um, a lot of the same kind of like what we know about establishing any kind of behavior, any, any habits, um, habits or behaviors. It's just different words for the same thing um in people so things that i know there's a couple of ways that i can go for it one um i can try to set some goals for myself that usually isn't super effective at motivating me or keeping me on track it's supposed to but in and of itself i've just observed that it's that's just yet another gratitude journal that i fill out the first three pages of and then leave to <laughs> go dust for another year um so i set the goals and then i just feel bad about them um accountability <laughs> yes. helps me a lot <laughs> so um whether i have a goal or not scheduling a specific time and telling someone that i'm going to show up and do it um because then i feel a little bit embarrassed if i don't because then they know that i suck and if 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 other people don't like i mean i always am waiting for people to recognize that i actually do suck and i'm just making so up. And, um, <laughs> but um you know so so I'll, I'll i'll do that a lot i'll say like i'll put out to like our local um, training group, hey, I'm going to the park, um, you know, this time on Friday, if anybody wants to join me to train. Um, and then I usually do that when I'm at like my peak energy level. Like when you feel like it's 11 o'clock in the morning, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm going to have today is the day I get my stuff together.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, all of it, all, all the all stuff it, is getting together in one day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then what happens, of course, it comes to the time that I'm supposed to do the training. I don't really want to, but I've already told them that I was going to be there and they will mm-hmm. go that I'm a terrible person if I don't go. So I go, and then I get some training, and it turns out that I like training dogs. I enjoy it. And so when I do some of it, it reminds me that I like doing it, and I am then more likely to do it again in the very near future. It's the opposite of flossing. So more training tends to get me more training. Um, So accountability works. Also, I have noticed that I am the sort of person who does a better... I, I have to have some skin in the game ultimately so if I pay for a class or I pay for a workshop um, like I again I always see, feels like when you send in the registration for something like a couple of weeks in advance this is a great idea I'm so excited about this Saturday morning rolls around oh why, why did I commit to doing this I but I have to go because I paid real money you know and, and we're all dog trainers here so money is a real thing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it me, but, um, but I I know if I sign up for something where i've committed a time and i've put some money on it um it it increases the chance that i'm going to actually do it which again puts me in contact with that reinforcer of it turns out i like training dogs that's <laughs> right i do like training dogs so those are those are the main things that i lean on and then on like the shorter term stuff um i am have i Learn, I'm learning to become self-aware of the, the way I, I sabotage myself. Um, so things like, like I don't do a lot of agility at home because moving the equipment around is hard and I don't want to. So um, if the equipment is already set out, I'm a lot more likely to do the training. So I have learned to, for whatever the thing is, to separate the setup from the training session and to do the setup in a time when I couldn't do training anyways and then I'm ready to do the training when I do ha- Like, I don't let myself do both things. So if I'm going to, like, what I want to do in my head is I'm going to set up a jump shoot and then I'm going to work all of my dogs with the jump shoot. But by the time I get all the jumps lined up, I'm out of time and I'm tired and I'm grumpy and I don't actually do the training, which is the part that I like. But if I go out in the dark and drag jumps up to the yard and set them up and measure them, it's too dark to train. I'm not allowed to train in the dark because I would kill both of us. Uh, <laughs> this is a self imposable but also re- reasonable, realistic then, hey, you know what, tomorrow morning when the sun does come up, they're already out there, and I can go out and do the things. And it makes a—it just makes a huge difference in my head. It, And I don't know why that is, to separate those things in time. And, it, and it's, not that it not, it's not that, well, if I just block out twice as much time, I would be able to do both things. It literally works better if I don't let myself train my dog once I've set up the equipment. I, I don't know why. And I could be the only person in the world for whom it functions this way. But...
0: No, I I, think, I find the same like thing with set really... work. Where well, and even I, like... I, I hate setting up hides. I hate I hate figuring out where I'm going to search. I god, I hate walking out there as far <laughs> as I need to walk to put a hide out there if I'm going to actually be wor- working like an area search. It's just the worst. Like I need a drone to do it because I'm so lazy about it, but I love doing the search. And I think for me, at least there's an anticipation where it's like, uh, I ate my broccoli and now I have to wait two hours before I get to eat my ice cream. And like, the ice cream is actually getting to run my dog and it like I'm in the space, everything is ready. I've done the hard bit that I don't like already. And then I'm excited to train when I do have the moment instead of like Mm -hmm. having it come up and be like, okay, now I've got to walk out there and I've got to do the Mm -hmm. thing. And then I get to train my dog, but like separating them, it does, it makes a difference for me too.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think it's a really, I feel like it's a really common (sighs) phenomenon and, and I don't know if you're familiar. There's like a book I want to say it's called like micro habits, And, um, the author talks about like setting a teeny tiny little goal for yourself. And then, you know, once you get started, you tend to have that momentum to finish a task. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get the reinforcement at the end of either having done something you enjoy or having done something that makes you feel good, whether or not like exercise, sometimes we don't enjoy it, but we feel good at the end. Um, and I feel like it's the same. <laughs> You're supposed to feel good at the end, endorphins yeah, feel, or whatever. I feel, I feel virtuous at the end of exercise. How there you that? go. Wait, which virtuous yeah. is reinforcing, right? <laughs> Apparently, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe not enough. Maybe it needs to be more reinforcing. But like, it's it's the whole like put on your workout clothes, you know, or put your workout clothes on your dresser mm-hmm. before you go to bed or whatever. Yeah, I feel like that's really common because we get the mm-hmm. sort of we get over the mental hurdle of the preparing for it, which is not fun. And then we get to get to the meat of whatever it is we want or need to do. And I mean, I even do the same thing with like sending emails. Like if I can just sit down and open up my inbox and like write down what I need to do, I'm so much more likely to come back and do it later. Like to to just sit down Mm -hmm. and get it done because I have like, I have an organized idea. I've got everything ready. Like I'm, I'm ready to go as opposed to, I, I think it really comes down to like, we're splitting, not lumping.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Well, and there's yeah. some, I, I think for me, like some aspect of behavioral momentum too. Like sometimes um, I've been wanting to teach barley that selfie trick that was popular on the, uh, the internet um, last year or three years ago or whatever that was. <laughs> that was uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been challenging for us. Um, it's just hasn't come easily to us. And I find it so much easier to, sit down and do a you know, do a couple reps of something else that's fun or, you know, he's working on twirl right now as a it's twirl and spin, spinning in different directions. Um and that's been easy and fun for us. And if I do a little bit of that and then put him away on a station for 30 seconds and then I like he's warmed up, mm-hmm. I'm warmed up, I'm in my training mm-hmm. headspace. But it's so much easier to just be like, okay, I'm just gonna pull out 10 treats and do twirl for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then like then I remember that I like it. And it's like, okay, yeah, now we're going to work on, you know, the, the selfie trick that has been vexing us or jumping uh, through my arms, which is another trick that I just have not had much success <laughs> with. Um, yeah, and like starting, which is funny that, you know, we've been talking about not wanting to mix your training sessions, and now I'm saying that <laughs> I build in that momentum by starting with easy stuff. But that's a, that's a little different than what we said to try to avoid as far as, uh, offering. No, I mean, you,
1: you had it right there. You pop them back on station and then you do something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that gives you a new starting point. So that's not two session. That's, that's not one long session. That's two. It's in your head. It might be one long session. I'm training dogs yeah. for 15 minutes, but we're not training dogs for 15 minutes. We're training dogs for two minutes at a time, spread mm-hmm. out when they're on station. Cause then you have to go get mm-hmm. your other thing and you have to go get your other thing. Uh, those are different training sessions, and that's that where I get mm-hmm. using a station as punctuation makes it really clear you don't have just one long run on mm-hmm. sentence like how I usually
0: talk. You have <laughs> a pause, and then a new start. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we've got we've got two other Patreon questions. I think we're gonna have to try to be quick with them. Um, so the first one might be faster or maybe is do you have any fun kind of throwaway behaviors that are good for practicing observation and mechanical skills like toe flexing um no Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right next what
1: what what i do for practicing observation and mechanical skills is i like to use video i use slow motion video um to train my eye for the movement that I am looking for. And then I I can see it and process it more quickly in real time. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not really answering your question, but I'm answering the question you didn't ask, which is how, how do I sharpen my own observation skills? And that I love video for that. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's something we use in human sports for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not this, it's not what we've talked about or like what I was talking about, like, oh, you know, watch, um, you know, watch the news and click when the the scene changes. No, no, no. Watch a video of your dog or someone else's dog doing the behavior that you hope to train because you're shortening the processing time. And the what what comes down to timing is how quickly does your brain take the information that it sees with your eyeballs and turn it Mm -hmm. into I should click. Um, and the more efficient you can make that process, the faster your clicks will be. It's not actually about your thumb and, uh, or your verbal work, it doesn't matter. And, um, and in watching video is the more specific, the better, uh, to what you're mm-hmm. trying to train is, is really good at that.
2: Yeah, I love that, that too, sense. because, you know, one thing that I always kind of have in the back of my mind is that we're always learning to be better trainers at the expense of the dogs that we're working with. So mm-hmm. You know well, the mistakes that we make are borne out um, on their you know mental health or, or welfare, and so mm-hmm. if we can lessen that impact by watching a dog you know go into a down twenty times on a video, as, and mm-hmm. as opposed to like asking the dog to do it twenty times and maybe getting the timing right and maybe not, that's so much better for the dog. It's it's you know it's much less of an impact it's, on them. Less of an impact on the dog, and
1: it's better shaping for you. Because uh, mm-hmm. you, if you see it in slow motion and you see it in normal time, then you see it in real life, you've got three shaping steps instead of one big long. Yeah. So your brain will actually pick the information up faster because it's presented in more uh, more digestible
2: um, yeah. stages. Yeah. And you get to make a big leap forward in your learning without having to, again, like kind of take it out on the dog for, for lack of a better yep. phrase. Yep. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, we have,
2: we have that one last question from our Patreon, Caroline. Um, if if you have a human moment and you get angry or frustrated and yell, stomp, maybe pop the leash and scare your dog, um, do you have any good ways that you like to make repairs to that situation or relationship?
1: Yes, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with that scenario. <laughs> um, I am a very human person, and um, and it happens. And I think, like the one, I want to. I think it's really important to mentally separate. This is an emotional response that I had because I am always operating in the same, con- like in the contingencies in my environment. Um, this is an emotional response. This is not a training plan. Those are very different, very, very, very different things. Um, I screw up and have emotional responses usually because I'm frustrated, which means I'm not getting my reinforcement or something happened that I didn't expect and I got scared or startled uh, and I have a plan for it. So um, in the moment, I, again, I think it doesn't matter. It probably doesn't really, matter. like, you can throw food. Sometimes I do that. Um, I have an impulse to call my dog over and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and, like, pet them really hard. I'm not sure that that's productive. I think it makes <laughs> me feel better. I think it may also, like, if that were to happen to me as a human and, like, a boyfriend were to, like, snap me and say, oh, come here, you're so beautiful, I would probably feel like you're crazy. Uh, so I'm not sure. I still do it with my doctor it makes me feel better this is about me but uh, I, I also don't think it probably in and of itself does much to fix the situation. so in in my kind of learned response now is especially if this happens in training versus like, like it doesn't usually, it doesn't usually happen in training most of the time um, because I in training I have a uh, a container, right? I, and I put some already done the cognitive work that we just talked about. So I'm much less likely to have an unexpected emotional reaction during a formal training session. Much more likely for this to happen in the kitchen when I'm trying to do four things and everybody's talking to me and like dinner's already late and, you know, mm-hmm. and then somebody does something. Um, so then this is a parenting skill that I, which I could learn through parenting since <laughs> so the playa dog is most of the time when those emotional responses happen, the best thing I can do is leave the room and go collect myself. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So that's practical. Um, If I'm snapping at my kids, like, mama needs a a timeout. And I go to the bathroom. And I don't know. Maybe I cry or whatever.
2: Um, (laughs) I also teach my kid who's just turned six to kind of do the same thing. Like, if you have a big emotion or a big moment of frustration, like, go take a minute and, you know, take a breath. And, like, you can feel what you feel. Just...
1: yeah. I mean, it's just like, if this was a reactive dog that I'm working, with, if I'm a reactive, I'm a reactive dog. <laughs> I bark a lot. I don't bite. But, um, <laughs> and that dog just like went over threshold and started lunging and barking. What the most important thing I can do in that moment, get them out of that situation, Re- yeah. remove them from the triggers as quickly as possible. And like, if I've already gone over threshold, the most next likely thing that I'm going to do is to go over threshold again. If mm-hmm. something happens again on top mm-hmm. of that and then I get on top of that, so like. Maybe I throw food if it's handy, but most of the time, walk out of the kitchen, close the door, get yourself away from whatever the triggers were. Make sure everybody's safe. Like don't, you know, don't leave the stove Mm -hmm. on or whatever, but um, (laughs) close the door, take a moment. And then if it happens in training, it's pop the dog on station or put him in his crate, walk away, cry in your car, whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the important part is what do you do when you come back? And I think, and this is something that Emily Johnson Bay, who's done a couple of podcast episodes with me on my podcast, we've talked about extensively is, um, identify what went wrong that got me into that situation such that I went over threshold. What do I need to change for next time? Is it that I need a mm-hmm. skill that I don't have? Is it that my dog needs a skill that he doesn't have? Is there something about the environment that I, I need a baby gate here, or I need to make sure that dogs and kids aren't in the same space while I'm cooking dinner, or I need to you know, change something about our routine? Like, what do I need to do to make it different happen differently next time? And that's where the training plan comes in. And that's where the repairs happen. Um, mm-hmm. It's the, it's the making sure that, well, this was a size of information. I went over threshold. I need more distance. I need more time. I need new skills. I need a mm-hmm. change environment, making those changes. Um, mm-hmm. That's I think the important part.
2: And I think it's yeah. critical to building like Susan Friedman talks about a trust bank, you know, where you, mm-hmm. Put money in and you put money in and you put money in and then occasionally you're going to have to take some out and i feel like that is sort of how you start that process of yes. building that trust yes. bank, is recognize what went wrong and how you can make it go right again in the future so that you don't have to worry about making withdrawals from the trust all the time
1: yes absolutely it, it you know if you're setting up so that your relationship with your dog is built on a massive history of reinforcement for a lot of things, not just training, but like all of, the, and not just food, like all of the reinforcers, and um, and that most of the time you're very reliable source of information. Then on mm-hmm. the odd times that you're not a reliable source of information, because you're actually a crazy person who's trying to fake it till you make it, or <coughs> and then you screw up and you punish instead of reinforce. Like you've got you've got that bank account to draw on, um, which does mean that for puppies, adolescent dogs, new to your house dogs, foster dogs. We have to put way more thought in advance to the setup because we don't have mm-hmm. that account mm-hmm. to lean on yet,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: yeah yeah, I think the only other thing I would i I know I do um is maybe later that day or you know in the next twenty minutes, I will generally do something that does make my dog and I feel connected again, um whether that's going for a hike or. Cuddling, taking a nap together, um, but like I know that really helps me feel better, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I think as long as I'm picking something that the dog also really enjoys, it kind of helps both of us. Like if I've spooked my dog to then, yeah, get on yeah. the floor with him and let him try to crawl into my skin and you know lick the inside <laughs> of my nose or yeah, whatever it yeah. is he needs to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just look at reinforcers for both sides. Because I again, we're both organisms; we're both behaving. What are my reinforcers with my dog? Because if I have gone over threshold, it's because I've been frustrated. If I'm feeling frustration, I mean that means I'm in an extinction situation, mm-hmm. which means I've been blocked from reinforcement with my dog. And that's so the the repair goes both ways, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's not about like totally sacrificing all of your needs to make your dog happy because you mm-hmm. can read his mind and you know what that looks like. Um, it's it, so something like hiking. Like okay, I went over the threshold. That hurt. My relationship with my dog, it hurt my dog's relationship with me, but I like hiking with my dog. That's something that's puts me in contact with the reinforcers that I experienced. Why I have dogs. I also enjoy hiking with them most of the time. Um, (laughs) Teenage Border Collie is starting to be fun to hike with. We had a dry spell for a while, but um, that's coming together too. So, so we have that now. Um, And, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, Um, whatever is why you have dogs, like doing that thing. and in, in using user your, use your judgment, if that thing is what was causing the problem in the first place, then no, <laughs> let's do something else in that space. Like I want to go hiking, but my dog is a reactive show And so like <laughs> going to a heavily traffic trail is probably not going to help either
2: one of us. So maybe, you know what, why don't we do something else in this space? Um, yeah. Well, it's just like yeah. any relationship, it's like trying to meet everyone's needs in a way that Nobody else's needs kind of get trashed. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, well, thank you so much. I know we need to wrap <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This was, this was delightful. I hope people found it, um, helpful. Yeah,
2: um, so Hannah.
0: Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, I know it's been, the scheduling has been challenging. So thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anywhere that people need to check out? I know you're launching your next round of online obedience soon, right? Anything mm-hmm. that you want to plug, make sure people know about?
1: Sure. I mean, the easiest way to find me is you can go to my website, which is Um, I do have my uh, obedience mentorship Zero to CD, which will be reopening at the end of April. And that's a, it's a fully comprehensive. It's not a course. You should really understand. That it's not a class. It's not a course. It's a fully comprehensive program. For trainers who are interested in getting started in obedience. So no obedience knowledge necessary. Um, but you do need to already know, have a, a solid foundation and training skills because we're going to apply those um, using positive enforcement and clicker training and all the good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also have my podcast, Drinking from the Toilet, which is, as to my knowledge, the only one with that title um, that's out there. So you can <laughs> search either my name or Drinking from the Toilet on wherever you listen to your podcast and you should be able to find it.
0: Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on, um, all of our listeners. Um, as you already know, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff, or not comment, review, uh, share, (laughs) tell a friend about us. Uh, (laughs) Like and subscribe. (laughs) Yeah. just. I I forget which which platform I'm on. Just do the thing. Engage with us somehow. (laughs) 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 Join us on Patreon. Um, we'll be in your earbuds, uh, next week or two weeks from now. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you.